I'm going to jump right in because if I don't, I'm going to run out of time. I started to run out of time in the last service, having too much fun. So if you wouldn't mind, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to, be in, we're going to start in verse 4, but I just plant there for a second. I, I, I want to just kind of uh, build my case for a moment. How many of you have been enjoying this series? And me and Pastor have been tag teaming week after week. We've, uh, we've been in a series as a church family on your home, your castle. Uh, we really felt led of the Lord to really teach on all things concerning the family. Amen. Has this been a blessing to you? And um, today I'm going to stay in that same vein. I kind of kicked off this series by just talking about the family in general. Then we kind of went into this uh, marriage stream. And man, what a word last week. How many are you thankful for the wisdom that was shared? Whenever someone's been married 55 years, I'm leaning in and listening. Amen. I just want to honor. Can we honor our, our, our senior leaders for their the example, just their faithfulness? 55 years of marriage. And and uh, and so last week was powerful. But, you know, I, you know I, I touched on marriage one week. I figured I'm going to let the, the guy who's been married the longest continue on the marriage part. I want to shift back. And I, I, today I want to talk to you about raising kids. And uh, I want to speak to you from the subject, raising kids that will love God. And when I was titling it, I kept thinking about that word will. Because... You know, we're saying they will love God because the reality is our children do eventually have to make their own choice. Is that right? But I started to think about it and I'm like, no, I'm going to use that word raising kids that will love God because we want to speak prophetically over them. That they're going to serve the Lord, that they're going to love God with all of their hearts. In the book of, remember what Joshua said? He said, as for me and my house, we, not maybe. We shall, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about raising children that will love God. Judges chapter two, you don't have to turn there. We're going to be in Deuteronomy, but I I want to read um, a scripture. And this has always been one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible to me. Judges chapter two, verse 10, it says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation arose after them that did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. That, that's a very sad and depressing scripture, but I'm starting there for a reason. It's going to get good. But that's how serious this family thing is. Because how many know we're supposed to declare from one generation to the next? And I read this scripture because I want to say, let it never be so. Of our children, come on, of our children and our grandchildren, this will not be the reality. Because from from Moses to Joshua, there was a torch that was passed, but there was a breakdown between Joshua's generation and the generation that came after. And it says there arose a generation after Joshua that did not know the Lord. Because how many of you know it's God's intention to go from generation to generation? God's intention is for us to pass and leave a legacy, a spiritual inheritance. Amen? Uh, I want to read another scripture just as we get going. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I know, I don't know about you, but as a parent, 
This is something that I, I have to meditate on and remember. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, train up a child. Come on, how many, how many remember hearing this scripture going up from, your, from the grandmas and the great grandmas and the, and the church mothers and fathers? They used to say, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I like how one translation says, it, is, it doesn't just say train, it says, show a child the way he should go. Amen. And pastor said something last week that, that I want to piggyback off before we read our main text. He said the family is, is a ready-made structure for God to communicate his word and his presence. And it is God's intention that our families pass this from generation to generation. Amen. And one of the things that we are trying to attempting to do in this series is not only address family issues, but get us as parents, get us as families to reclaim this mandate. Because how many know the government's not going to raise your children, or they may try, but the government is not going to train up your child in the way that they should go for you. Amen? The president's not going to train up your child in the way that they should go. It's not the government's responsibility. It's not the school system's responsibility. It's no one else's than the family, and it starts with the parents. Amen? And let me go a step further, is... Parents, this morning, and I'm a parent, I'm preaching to the choir. My, 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 my girls are young, but I'm already learning this. It, it, and it's not primarily the church's responsibility. The church is supposed to come alongside of you and support you. But as parents, it is your mandate to raise your children and admonish them in the things of God. Amen? Of course, we raise them in church and the church comes alongside, Right? And, and it, it, I love that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And I believe that. But the church will come alongside you as parents, not replace your role. Amen. And I'll tell you what, if you can have both, that's a blessing. You know, as and during a series, I was thinking about this. I was extremely blessed. You know, I've, I've been raised in this church my entire life. I'm a one church guy my whole life. And will be to the day that I die. I think a few days after I was born, I was here. Seriously. I mean, not here, but you know. But you know, growing up, I, I, you know, I would be with my natural family, and then I would come to church, and it felt like my spiritual family. And for me, it was always a seamless transi- trans, uh, transition. I always felt at home, whether I was with my natural family or spiritual family. And I believe that that's the way God wants it. Amen. But it doesn't, as parents, it doesn't start in the church first. It starts in the home. Someone say amen. And so we're talking about reclaiming this mandate. But let's turn now to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Very familiar passage of scripture, but I want to extrapolate some stuff from it today. If you're there, say there. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... I'm going to make you preach with me. The Lord is... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Someone say diligently. To your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your gates. Someone say amen. Amen. 
Very familiar passage of scripture, but I want to break this down because if you pay attention to what is happening here in the, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter six, God is actually giving us a blueprint of how to raise and admonish our kids. And he's actually giving us a command to do certain things. But I, 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 want, I want you to see something. You notice how very quickly by verse six or verse, yeah, verse five and six, he's quickly moving to telling the parents, teach them, teach these commands and these things diligently to your children, right? But before he tells them to teach the commands, he says, you shall love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Amen? So that means this. I'm so thankful for all of the parenting gurus out there. Right? What, what does it mean to be an expert anyway? I mean, literally, they change, the research changes every couple of years. But there's, there's all kind of parenting advice, good advice out there. And some of it's great. Some of it is not great. And, and I, I want to say this up front. You may find some great things out there. But I want to say this. When it comes to being, when you say, what is, in my assignment of being a parent, where do I begin? Where is the starting place? The starting place is actually not even before you even talk about what you need to do for the children or what you need to tell the children. The, the parenting actually begins with you first. Because before you teach anything diligently to your children, it says you're to love the Lord your God with all of your being. The first, that means the first thing that I need to do as a parent, if I want to take my mandate, if I want to raise my kids, admonish my kids in in, in the things of God, if I want to leave a spiritual inheritance, the first thing I have to pay attention to is not necessarily my parenting technique or what I do. The first thing is how do I love God? Are you with me? And here in these verses, you actually see a, a sequence of personal devotion and family Devotion and spiritual formation. Okay. I want to lay this foundation. When this commandment is given to love the Lord your God with all of your being. I'm going to say being because that's really what the scripture is saying. With everything within you, with your entire being, love the Lord your God. And so, so many times when we talk about this scripture, we personalize it, which is totally fine. It is personal. But understand that when this command is given, it is very quickly given within, given within the context of family. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your being. And then what? It shall, these things shall be in your heart and you shall teach them to your children. That means this, that my relationship with God is bigger than me. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm already. I feel this. My relationship with, it's more than just my relationship with the Lord. It is, it is a personal commandment. But when I become a parent, this is more than just about me. Now, my walk with the Lord is not only impacting my life, my spouse's relationship, we're not only impacting each other. We are now talking about impacting children and their children's children.
So I want us to see today that this is not just a personal invitation. It is. It's not just a personal command. This is a command that was given to Israel out loud, that was given to all of them. And he was saying it within the communal context. You shall love the Lord your God. These things shall dwell in your hearts. They shall be in you and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Are you with me this morning? But I want to give a little context really quick because the book of Deuteronomy is very interesting. If you'll remember... There was an entire generation of Israelites that were not allowed to enter the promised land. Sad. But an entire generation was not allowed to enter the promised land. So when the book book of Deuteronomy begins, Moses is actually addressing a new generation. And what he's doing is this. He's reminding them of the covenant. In the book of Deuteronomy, he begins to address an entirely new generation. The old generation had passed on. The ones that had failed to enter enter the promised land. And now a new generation was here. And what Moses was doing was he was calling them to be faithful to the covenant that God had made with them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is such an important book. And this chapter is so important that did you know that... Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is one of the foundational prayers that is prayed in Judaism every single day all over the world. For thousands of years, every single day, Jews all over the world are praying Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, because it's called the Shema. It is literally, it's like a theme. It's a, it is a, a scripture to build your entire life around. So I want, I want you to hear it again. Hear, O Israel. Someone say, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your. With all your. And with all your. Now leave that verse up. I'm sorry, go back to verse four. So you see that word here. Right? Or some of your translations, if you're reading your translation, it may say, listen. And sometimes when you're reading it in English, you really don't get the full picture because God is actually not telling them to just listen. The word in Hebrew is Shema. It has a double meaning. It literally means to hear and to obey. In other words, God says there is no option of just listening. Oh, come on, somebody. He says, Shema Israel. Hear and oh, because see, sometimes it can be easy. Can I preach like I feel like it? We can hear so much. But God in this command says, listen, I'm not when I say here, I'm not telling you just to hear and then you go about your day and do what you want to do. He said, no, hear and listen. As a matter of fact, in the word Shema, there is no distinction to hear is to do and to do is to hear. Hear and obey. So when God gives this commandment, he doesn't give any. He's not saying, hey, listen, this is a good sermon. You're going to hear a good sermon today and then you're going to go about your business. It's not going to work that way. Hear and do. So track with me. Remember, this is also a a New Testament concept. James chapter 1 says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face 
in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Come on, let's give, let's give the Lord a hand clap for the reading of his word. So this, this scripture is so important. It's prayed every single day all over the world. And, and in verse 4, we could spend an entire Sunday, and maybe we should sometime, an entire Sunday on what it means when God says he's one. But you know what? I, I, we don't have time, and that's not the subject of today. I want us to focus on verse 5, where God commands us to love him with our whole being. How many of you, it's your prayer that you want to love him with all of you and your entire being? That's your prayer. So the same way that it says, hear and obey, which God is so wise because he tells us to hear and obey. Because if we just listen and contemplate, many times we talk ourselves out of obedience. Come on, how, you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? We sit there and we contemplate. God says, hear and obey. There's so much wisdom on that. Hear what I'm saying and do what I say. And it sometimes can sound like, no, is God just trying to be bossy? No, it's not that. Actually, God is looking out for us. Hear it and obey it quickly because we have a tendency to, to think too much into it instead of just being, uh, being obedient. So I'll say it like this. Some of us are, are, are educated beyond our obedience. <laughs> I feel like sometimes, I mean, I mean, I know the Lord's told me this before. I'm like, I need a word, I need a word. And God's like, what are you doing with that last word, you know? And in this, in this verse, God's saying, hear and obey. But listen, he's, this is what he does. He commands us to love him. It's a command, not a suggestion, right? Now, Pastor gave us some incredible wisdom last week on marriage. And something that he said about marriage translates to this verse. Because when God tells Israel, you shall, you shall love me, the same way that Pastor taught us last week, that love is not just an emotion. Love is a decision. And when you look at this word love in the Hebrew, God is not saying have have. Emotion. God is saying, make a decision to be devoted to me. This is so important because in the times that we're living, pay attention to modern vocabulary. Everything is, I feel, I don't want, I this, I that. Track with me. God doesn't say, love me when you feel like it. Love me when things are good, but you don't have to love me when things are bad. You can love me when you're having a good day, but you don't have to love me when you don't feel like it. No, God gives a command. Love me with your whole being. And true spiritual maturity is learning how to be devoted to God even when you don't feel like it. I'm just warming up. Are you with me? 
True spiritual maturity. I mean, I'm so thankful. Aren't you so thankful that you wake up some mornings and you're just, your heart's just burning and you can't wait to get into the presence of God and you can't wait to worship God and you can't wait to just spend time with him. And then there's other days where you wake up and it just feels like the weight of the world is on you. Oh, it's just me. Or your emotions are all over the place. And this, the wisdom and the commandment is this, is that I have to make a decision to be devoted even when I don't feel like it. Here's the thing that I love. Even when I don't feel the emotion, when I'm obedient and when I just choose to be devoted to this, you can see you have to take authority over your being. You say, it doesn't matter what I feel today. It doesn't matter what my mind's telling me. It doesn't matter what my body's telling me. It doesn't matter to me what my circumstance is telling me. I'm going to serve the Lord today. I'm going to be faithful and be devoted And that's the wisdom and the commandment because sometimes when I don't feel it, if I remain devoted, this is what I have learned. Oftentimes the emotion will follow the obedience. There have been so many times where I didn't feel like praying or feeling like worship. I I didn't feel anything. But you, you go to that place out of obedience and out of consistency, out of faithfulness. And what happens is once you get there, all of a sudden you're so glad you're there. Are you tracking with me? It's like going to the gym. (laughs) <laughs> which I haven't been to a lot the last four months. And the truth be told, I've been blaming it on my newborn, but it's really just, I've been <laughs> using her as an excuse. But it's, it's like the gym. You don't always feel like going to the gym. People who always feel like going to the gym, I, something's wrong with them. I wish I was that person. I hate working out, man. But I know I need to. But how many of you have been there? You don't feel like going to the gym. But once you go to the gym and you start exercising, when you leave there, you say, man, I'm so glad I did this. Amen. Because discipline does not create passion, but it directs it. It. I don't know if I should get sidetracked or not. See, because I'm Pentecostal to my core. I love spontaneous. But guess what? It's not always spontaneous and you don't always feel goosebumps and in the cloud of glory is not always right there. Sometimes you got to be devoted to God when your emotions are all over the place. When you're angry about something, when something's bothering you, when things are going wrong, it can't always feel right. Being devoted to the Lord is saying, I'm going to make a decision. Amen. Are you with me this morning? I'm so thankful for the times where it's just like spontaneous, Holy Ghost, goosebumps, you know, all that encounter. But you know what I've learned? That the discipline and consistency and learning to be devoted is where God shapes us and where spiritual maturity sets in. Because if we're led by our emotions or our circumstances or our feelings... We cannot actually be devoted. To be devoted means to push through all of those things. Are you with me this morning? But here's what I want to say. Jesus picks this up in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Let's put that up on the screen. Jesus said, they say, 
They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says this, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your, and with all of your. And so in the New Testament, they come to Jesus and ask, what is the greatest command? And Jesus, Jesus does not um, push away the command. He actually affirms it and upholds it. And so can I hit a demon really quick that's out there? All scripture is for today. All of it. Even the commandments. We have to remember this. Some things ended at the cross. Some things changed at the cross. And some things went through the cross. And this commandment went right through the cross. Jesus affirms it and says, this is the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your being. Right? And so... Getting back to the Deuteronomy, if, if that means this, that God tells us in Deuteronomy, he tells the Israelites, he says, listen, you're going to love me. All of these things are going to be in your heart and you're going to teach them diligently to your children. All right. Jesus in the New Testament affirms this. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your being. Right. OK, so that means this. If I'm going to be the kind of parent that God is going to be. If I'm going to steward my mandate, the first and most important thing is my walk with him. It's how I love him. Here's the problem. Can I give you a problem? And then give you the solution quickly. I'm deeply encouraged by that, but I've also been deeply discouraged until I realize an important truth. At least this set me free. Because this can start to feel weighty. Because they, just, just track with me for a second. And this week, I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'm a crybaby. I cry a lot. But as I contemplated this, I wept this week because I realized something. How I love God is going to affect my children. No, listen. In our... In, in the West, we have so privatized our relationship with God. And I'm not opposed to that, but we have privatized it to the point where we have forgotten that what God does in us and through us is not just for us, but it's for generations. It's for people. It's for family. It's, it's your, what God is doing in you is bigger than you. And God says, you're to love me, not just for you. Yes, you're created to love me, but it's for your children's children. It's because I'm going to deposit something in you and you're going to deposit something in the next generation. And as I was studying this week, I just suddenly became more aware, like, oh, my God, like, this is so crazy. How I love God is going to affect my children. I mean, think about it. Solomon comes on the scene and says, I'm going to be good to you because of your father, David. And I know in the new covenant, God is good to us because of Jesus. But there is still something to be said about, about a spiritual legacy that is passed on through our lineage. Amen. And so this commandment as a parent in Deuteronomy suddenly becomes heavy because you realize, okay, this is not just about me. This is about my family. This is about what God is doing in my generations. Man, this feels weighty. Okay, I, I got to love God perfectly. How many of you have ever felt the weight of that? But let me give you some good news. Can I give you some good news this morning? Well, first I got to give you a little bit more bad news. Here's the good, I mean, the, some more bad news, but it gets good. Israel failed at this commandment 
miserably. Over and over and over again. How many times have you, did you read the same cycle? Israel's doing good. Israel falls into adultery. God sends judgment. He sends prophets. God restores. Right? Israel always seemed to find themselves back and forth. Serving God, torn, divided heart, divided affection, worshiping idols. You see the cycle. And even throughout the Old Testament, you see figures who would emerge who, who were godly figures like, like David and like all of, these, all of these giants in the faith, Abraham and Sarah and all these people who were extraordinary people. But guess what? Just lean in a little bit to their lives and you'll realize they didn't keep this commandment perfectly either. So I thought, okay, well, then when I look at my own life, I'm like, wait, when I really think about it, I haven't fulfilled this commandment perfectly either. Am I the only one? I love God, but has my love failed him many times? Yes. And then one day I'm reading this in the gospels because see, I affirm all the scripture. I'm like, this command is still for today. Yes. And amen. It's for us right now, today, for this generation. But then I realized that sometimes many of us are reading the commands as if we're still in the old covenant. And we need to hear these commands with a fresh perspective of grace. Can I preach like I want to? You see, because... This commandment is still for us today, but our starting place is different. Our starting place is not Mount Sinai. Our starting place is Calvary. Oh, I'm preaching better than some of you guys are amen in me right now. See, at Sinai, God says, I command you to love me. And all the other commandments. Right? Failed miserably, failed miserably. Jesus upholds the command, you shall love me. But listen, Jesus knows that we would fail at this too. See, me and you have a different vantage point. We actually have an advantage over those who have gone before us. Because you see, the law demanded that you love God perfectly. But the gospel is an announcement that God has loved you faithfully. I'm going to say that again. The the, The law demands that you love God perfectly. The gospel is an announcement that God has loved you faithfully. Oh. In other words, this, God says, you have gotten this commandment wrong over and over and over and over again. And do you think that, do you think that as many times have we've broken this commandment because we've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short. That means this, if the greatest commandment is to love God, then what's the number one sin that we have violated the most that we have not loved him with our whole being. And when God Look down, what did he do in, the, in, in, in Jesus Christ, in the Gospels? He loved us even more. He's, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners and dead in our trespasses, he loved us and gave himself for us. That means this, that while we were unfaithful to this commandment, God was still faithful. 
And so, yes, this commandment is still valid, but guess what? It's valid from the perspective of the gospel. The gospel starts with not what you have to do, but what God has done for you. Oh my God. Look, I, listen. I got it. I'm so excited. I could run through the see so much of the church is still reading the Bible in the wrong covenant. If you're not starting with the gospel, you're starting from the wrong place. If you're starting with what you got to do for God and not what God has done from you, you haven't heard the gospel. Because if we could have lived right and served God in our own strength, we would have done it a long time ago. But God sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do. When we were unfaithful, he was faithful. And when we, when we didn't love him, he loved us. So yes, this commandment is still valid. But guess what? From the perspective of the gospel, that when we didn't love him with our whole being, he loved us with his whole being. So where does the strength come from to fulfill this commandment? The strength to fulfill this commandment doesn't come from within us. It comes from within him. Oh my God. This revelation changed my life. It saved me from burnout, from cycles of, of on fire, not on fire. Feeling this up and down. Because I realized one day, wait a minute. I'm relying too much on my love for God and not God's love for me. Let me explain. In the upper room, uh, that night they were having the Last Supper. Do you remember? The Bible describes all the dialogue that was taking place. And the Bible says that when Jesus was talking about who would betray him. You remember this? He said, um, you remember Jesus said, when are you going to betray me? You know, of course, Peter's like, you know, I'll never betray you, all this stuff. And really, if you want to break it down, Peter, Peter starts to kind of, I don't know if the word is brag, but kind of be like, no, nah, you know, I'll never deny you. Kind of, in other words, inward, right? I'll never deny you. Like, I, I, we could keep it going. I, I love you. I love you more than all of them. I'll never leave you, right? He actually says, I'll never leave you. In other words, he was bragging about his love for God. Meanwhile, in that same room, There's another disciple named John. John is watching all this and he's laying on Jesus's chest. Or let's just say it like this. He was laying on the heart of the master. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing. I can't prove this, but he's probably thinking, while y'all are all bragging about yourselves, I'm just going to, Lean into his love. Because when he's here, I can't really brag about me. Check this out. See, I don't know where he got it, but he got this revelation at some point. The, The strength is not in relying in yourself. The strength is relying on him. And so he says, I'm gonna, did you know that when the disciples fled, all of the disciples fled, only one of them was at the foot of the cross. John the Beloved. When John writes his letters, you know what I love about John? And when you would read it in the past, when I would read it in the past, I remember thinking, man, this is kind of like, sounds a little arrogant at first. The disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He, when, when, when John describes himself in his gospels, he, descri- he doesn't call himself by his first name many times. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loves. See, some of us are trying to love God in our own strength. And we're walking around bragging, I love God. I lo-, and that's great, love God. But guess what? Let's see how far your love goes. And I don't know, but have you walked long enough with them to realize the more I look inward, the more I try to drum it up, the more I try. No, all I can do, actually, what actually works best is if I brag about his love for me, if I rest in his love for me, if I rest in his faithfulness, you know what happens? And while I'm reclining on the chest of the one who loves me, guess what happens? My heart begins to burn. I begin to love him with a fervency because this love is not rooted in. In my love, this this love is actually rooted in an agape love that was demonstrated on the cross. You see, at Sinai, God, God was telling them, make a decision. But remember, even at Sinai, they were just getting to know God. Oh, hear me today. They were just getting to know God. In fact, it was, taking, it was taking a long time. When Israel first left Egypt, they still believed that there were many gods. God was working. St- In other words, God, Israel was getting reintroduced to God. And God gives them commands. Do you understand the advantage that we have on this side of the cross? That guess what? We don't have to guess about God anymore. God has been put on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. He came in the, with the fullness of God dwelling in him. And guess what? God fully revealed himself in Christ. So on this side of the cross, God says, make a decision to be devoted to me. But guess what? We have so much more to love him for because we have an understanding of how much he loves us. You see, we used to sing a song, it's so easy to love him. It's so easy to love him when you're not trying to love him based upon your emotion. It's so easy to love him when you're not trying to love him based upon your own ability to drum it up. It's so easy to love him when you stare at a revelation of the cross. When you get a when you get an understanding of what the gospel announces. That while you were dead in your trespasses, when you didn't love God, when you weren't thinking about God, when you were running the opposite way, God loved you. So is this commandment still valid? Yes. But guess what? Like a worship song says, the best I've ever heard it said, it takes God to love God. You are not able to love God with all of your being by yourself. The strength of your love is found in his love for you. Are you hearing me today? That's good news because you know why? I I wrote this down because I came to encourage some parents. I came to some, encourage some dads and some moms who you already feel the weight of your personal walk with God. You already feel the responsibility of that. But you're like, now I've got to, I've got to get it together. I've got to love God for my family. And you're saying this can all feel overwhelming. And I want to tell you something. If you try to do it in your own strength, in your own ability, in your own way, guess what? You're going to burn yourself out, wear yourself out, tear yourself out. But if you get a revelation of God's grace, his goodness, and his love for you, God will give you the grace you need to walk out this 
greatest commandment. Because the first thing you need to teach your kids is, hey, daddy and mommy love God. But guess what? Daddy and mommy can't brag about our love for God. We love God because he first loved us. We love God because we got a revelation of the cross. We love God not because we're more spiritual than other people or we're better than other people. But we've been radically transformed by the goodness of God. God has revealed himself to us. Are you hearing me? The first thing our children have to see in us is our love for God. That's why I love the sequence. I mean, I'm already out of time. I'm having having too much fun. Before we teach them anything, we have to show them. And that's why this week it hit my heart so strong when I thought about my girls and I thought how I love God. They're going to see that. And you know what? It it, kind (laughs) of. I thought, you know what? When my girls look at me. What do I want them to know about me? What do I want them to be? What do I want their impression to be that I was a pastor or a preacher for? No. How much I knew about scripture? No. The impression I want to leave with my children is how much I loved God. And you know, it's a little scary because they're going to see the humanness of me. Just like your kids. Listen, there are no perfect parents. They're going to see the humanness of you. And that's what I prayed this week. I said, God, no matter, despite my faults and my shortcomings and my, and all my hangups, God, I pray that my children will see through all of that and see my love for you. Amen. Because. I have, I have seen this so much about the things of God. Things are more caught than taught. We teach diligently, yes, but things are caught, not just taught. Are you with me this morning? And I got to hurry if I can have the worship team. I'm not going to get through my notes. I'm going to have to do a part two of this. Turning to everyone and say, I'm the one whom he loves. The greatest thing you can demonstrate to your children is passion and love for God. But you have to show them that it's not rooted in your strength. It's rooted in what he did on the cross. Show them a radically lovesick, dependent lover of God. That says, I've been undone by what he's done for me. And I love him because he first loved me. But here's another thing about this commandment. God is so wise because he commands us to love him. Not just for the sake of relationship, not just for the sake of that we have something to impart to the next generation. This is how God actually shapes us. I love what the author and theologian James Smith said. Listen to what he said. He says, you are what you love. You are what you love. He said, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas. He is after nothing less than our wants, our loves, and our longings. 
In other words, whatever we love shapes us and molds us. And so when God commands us to love him with our whole being, God is doing that because he created us. Did you know that you were created to know him? You actually weren't created for sin. Sin is a violation of your design. And God knows that only if you love him with your whole heart, that is how he shapes your affections. You know, so many times when we're dealing with issues or like sin hangups or weaknesses and stuff like that, sometimes we're so focused on beating the sin or overcoming the temptation or overcoming the thing. And God is saying, will you just love me? Because as you love me, I change your desires. I change your longings. I change your want to's. In fact, it says in the gospels, uh, I'm sorry, in the New Testament writings that he will give you the will, the desire, the will to do what is right. And so by loving God, God is so wise. He commands us. He doesn't even give us an option because if it was up to us, our affections would be all over the place. But God says, love me with all of your being. And I'm shaping you. And I'm molding you. Stand with me to your feet, if you wouldn't mind. I'm out of time. Does this help anybody this morning? I I didn't even get to the part about teaching our children, imparting our children to our children. But I want to leave you with this. The most important thing you can do as a parent is show them how you love God and the ways you love him. That's the most important thing. It says this in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. Listen, and the priest, listen to this. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Come on. Every. And lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. He says this. The fire shall be kept burning daily. The most important thing you can do as a parent first is actually not to parent. It's to build an altar. It's to worship and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Because it's out of that place that you have something to give. It's out of that place. See, because you can't teach what you don't know. You can't give what you don't have. You can't impart what you don't possess and the first things our kids watch us do they watch how we love God and I want to encourage you parents you're not going to be perfect I was thinking about my own life I was thinking oh my God the weightiness of this but you know what we can, we can parent and live in such a way that our, children's can, our children can see our hangups, but they can see that love in our hearts that daddy loves God. Even when daddy makes a mistake, even when mommy messes up, even when, they, you know, when there's arguing or someone cuts you up in traffic or something like that. Even so, they love the Lord. 
Could I have our, our prayer counselors please join me at the altar? If you would, would you bow your heads with me? Everyone, please bow your heads with me if you don't mind. Before I pray for us today, if there's anyone in this room that has never received the Lord as your personal Savior, we never close out any service without giving you the chance to do so. So if that's you in this place and that you want to receive the Lord as your personal Savior, would you just slip up a hand and wave at me? I see you. God bless you. Online, I see you. Just click that comment, like. We're going to share some links right there for you to submit your prayer request. But if you're online or you're in person, would you pray this prayer after me? Dear Heavenly Father, come on, let's pray this as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I need you. Wash me. Cleanse me. Lord, I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. And I make a decision to follow you all the days of my life. In your mighty name we pray. Come on, Inspire Church, let's give them a warm hand clap. But I I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to dismiss you. I'm closing on time. Um, I want all of the parents in this room to please come join me at this altar. All of the families. I want to pray over you before we leave. So, from parent to parent, you know, it's no secret that when you look at statistics, the church is hemorrhaging young people. We're, we're losing young people, statistically. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. But they did a survey. They did a survey. And they found, they interviewed the young people, the, and it is a significant number of young people that stayed in the church. And while there's a lot of young people leaving the church when they graduate high school, the ones that stayed and were committed all through college and stuff like that, they surveyed them and they wanted to know, why did you, what kept you in the church? What kept you a part of the faith? What kept you in this? This is what they found. Number one, the families ate dinner together five to seven times a week. Amen. I'm on a crusade to reclaim the dinner table in America. But number two, listen, this is so key. They served with their families in a ministry. They had at least one spiritual experience in their house during the week. Just one. 
They were, listen to this. They were entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. I'm going to make you a commitment. If you will raise your family in the house of God, in all of our ministries, from kids ministry to youth ministry, young adult ministry, we will empower them and give them a place to serve. They have a place here. That's what we can do. But did you hear the other statistics? Families who ate together, relationship, who had spiritual experiences in the home and actually served with their mom, served with their family. That means, can, can, I, can I say something from a pastor's heart? You not take it the wrong way? For many of us, it's time to stop just coming on Sunday and checking out for the rest of the week. Your kids need to be here. They need to be here with you, serving alongside of you. They need to be in our student ministries. And can I say something? I know you're busy, but guess what? You need to be here too, serving at some kind of capacity. Because it's, it's not just, it's, it's about what God is doing holistically in your family. But most importantly, the most important thing is what's going on in the home. It's time to, for an hour, turn off Netflix, turn off the Xbox, turn off PS5. We're eating dinner as a family. And after dinner, we're going to pray. And I'm going to lay hands on you as your father, as your mother. And guess what? I know they're going to kick and they're going to fight and they're going to be like, but guess what? When they're 18 or when they're 20, they're going to thank you. Because all of the deposits that you make in the home and all of the deposits that are made here in, in their spiritual family, it's going to stay with them. But it all starts with mom and dad saying, I'm going to make a commitment to love God as individuals and as a couple. We are going to love God with all of our being, not just for us, but our children's children. And the good news is this. God will give you the grace to do it well. So would you just lift up your hands? Can I pray for you? I just felt today to to pray for personal revival, like in your life, in your devotion life, and even you as couples, your, 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 your devotional lives together. I feel like as simple as it is, the Lord is saying, if you'll carve out the time, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you in that place of prayer. I'll meet your family in that place of prayer. I'll do things in those prayer meetings that that you have never seen. I'll restore. I'll heal. So, Father, right now, I just pray over every family and every every marriage, God, every, every family unit that's represented here and a part of Inspired Church, God. God, I'm praying, God, that you would do something in them individually, but as couples and as families, God. We're, we're praying for personal and household revivals, God. Ignite the flame of devotion in our hearts, God. And the good news today is, God, we don't have to drum it up, God. We just have to, we just have to hear of your goodness. We've just got to open up the scriptures. 
and read a sentence where, where we read about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And that's all we got to do. We just got to get just a word will set our hearts on fire, God. This grace, it comes from you. It comes from your faithfulness, God. We lean in on your faithfulness, not ours. We lean in on your love, not ours. We look to your mercy. We look to your guidance. We look, God, to you to lead us as we lead our families. And I felt something as I was typing. There are people who are struggling. And you have that desire. You say, God, I just don't let my kids see or let them see that I'm going, that I love you. I know this is going to sound funny, but I felt like I needed to tell somebody who's struggling, struggle well. And this is what I mean. Struggle towards the cross, struggle towards the feet of Jesus. Because that your kids know you're not perfect, but if they see you go to the feet of Jesus, if they see you cling to the cross, if they see you run to the merciful one, they'll see that too. God's got mercy. God's got grace for those in this room who need to who need to forgive. Where there needs to be forgiveness, where there needs to be amending of brokenness, God. So, Father, I'm praying right now for a personal devotional revival, God. God, a fresh first love fire in our hearts. And when I say first love, I'm not talking about your first experience. First love is not an experience. First love is a person. God, bring us back to the first love person of Jesus, who we love him because he first loved us. Set our hearts on fire. May we be like John the Beloved this week and lean into your grace. Lean into your love and ignite that flame in the name of Jesus.